Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, it's great to see you guys this morning. If you're joining online, we're grateful as well. And uh, today we're continuing in a series kicked off last week called God's Passion, Our Purpose. And the big idea is that there are these three groups of people that, that through the scriptures, old and new, it's very clear, these three groups of people that all of us at one time or another, I believe, find ourselves uh, in each of these groups, that these, these three groups of people that seem very, very close to the heart of God. And this idea that as we live the life of following Jesus, that as we follow him, that our hearts more and more get aligned with his heart, where we care more and more about the stuff and the people that he cares so very much about. So last week we talked about what we called the little, God's heart for children, and and this week we're gonna talk about the least, God's heart for the least of these. If you have your Bibles, go over to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, 31. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably come across this passage at some point or another, and maybe you've wondered, what, is this, what does this mean? It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, Jesus talking about his second coming, and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep From the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since before the creation of the world. And then he says, Hey, this is why. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, and I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. My brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you like that? Hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? And he'll reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. What we see here in this passage is Jesus is making the most about the least. Jesus could not be sending us a stronger message here. He could not be making a bigger deal about this whole idea of caring for the vulnerable and the needy, those who are suffering, those, the, the, those who, who are struggling. Jesus could not be making a bigger deal about this. There's no possible way he could have. He's setting this dramatic stage of it's, it's the final 
judgment and the thing that it seems that it hinges on is this thing of how did you treat people that, that were poor and hungry and thirsty and in need? How did you treat the most vulnerable? How did you treat the least of these? And, and, and so I wanna talk to you about this today. Jesus makes the most about the least because it's this issue of God's heart and God's image. See, the thing is, Jesus couldn't be making a bigger deal about this. The way he, even the words he chooses to use, his tone, many times the way in which people talk about the least of these, people that are struggling and in need, many times it's, it's not in the most uplifting language. It's, it, it could just be to refer to them as homeless or, 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 or look at the vagrant or, or there's a bum over there. But that bum, Jesus calls a brother. Jesus uses language that, that it would be unthinkable to think of. And so Jesus, his very tone, he's, he's, he's talking about these people that other people look at without through the, not through the lens of dignity and care, but Jesus, he, he, this tone he uses, he says, these are my brothers and, and sisters. His tone makes this huge deal. But then he ups it. He says, they're not just my brothers and sisters. He fully identifies himself with them. He says, the what you do for them, you're doing for me. And what you're not doing for them, you're not doing for me. He's connecting himself fully, just like we saw last week that he did with children. Whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. Whoever doesn't welcome a child doesn't welcome me. It's the same idea. Jesus is identifying himself with the lowest uh, uh, rung of the social strata, those who would be in jail, those who would be hungry or thirsty or in great need. He identifies but then his promise of reward or punishment could not be grander. He, he's, he's tying this to eternal status. He, he, he's saying, hey, enter, enter into this paradise created before the beginning of the world and because I was hungry and thirsty and you gave me something to eat. And they said, well, we never saw you, Jesus. He said, whatever you did for the least, you did for me. Go on into your great reward. And then he says, go into the place prepared for the devil and his angels, this eternal fire. And he said, because I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat, thirsty, nothing to drink. He said, Jesus, when did we see you? That way he says, whatever you did not do for the least of these. And it looks like this reward and punishment, heaven and hell, eternal stakes lay in the balance. And, and, and if you grew up like me, where, where, where from the youngest age, you've been taught, well, it's not what you do that saves you. There's this thing that we can wrestle with this. Well, what's going on here? And, and it is true that it is not what it does that saves us. Ephesians 2.8, for it's by God's grace that we're saved through faith. It's a gift of God. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved on Two good works. Ephesians 2.10, for you are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. Just two verses later from Ephesians 2.8, God's, you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. What? To do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, Martin Luther said it this way, salvation is by faith alone, but true faith never remains alone. James, the brother of Jesus, says it this way, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if people claim to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose it's a brother or sister is without clothes. And so again, James, Jesus' natural half-brother, he's, he, he's talking about this the way Jesus talked about this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, get, keep warm and well-fed, if you just kind of say, hey, God bless, 
but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So what Jesus seems to be saying is that my true followers who have real saving faith in the real Jesus, not a Jesus that doesn't care about poor people, but the real Jesus, those people that have faith in me, will their heart will more and more align with my heart for the most vulnerable people on the planet. So this Jesus is making such a big deal about this. He couldn't be making a grander statement about this because from the beginning of the Bible till the end, we see that God's heart and character is with the least of these. We see Psalm 146.6 talking about the Lord. It says, he is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord saves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner or the immigrant and sustains the fatherless or the orphan and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Jesus is making this grand statement that is simply consistent with the teaching of the entire Old Testament leading up to this. Psalm 68, four, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. And then it says his name is the Lord, then it, then it gives him a nickname. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. Jesus is making this grand statement, could not be making a grander statement, saying, hey, the way you treat them, it's the way you treat me. Eternity is in the balance here. Could not be making a bigger deal. And because it, this, this whole issue is at the very heart of the character of God, his care for the most vulnerable, what Jesus calls the least of these. But then Jesus, but it really is also just tied to the whole idea of the image of God. That we, we read in Genesis that, 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 that God has created us in his image. He's placed his mark on us, his likeness, that, that we are, are, are created in his image. And, and because of that, we have this intrinsic worth and, and value. And what Jesus is doing is he's just making that a little more personal. And he's making that a little more tangible. And he says, the way in which you treat the person that's in the greatest need that society thinks the least of, the way you treat them, it's, it's, a, it's, what you're, it's the way you're treating me. It's the way you're treating God. You can't separate it. It's all tied to God's heart and the fact that we're created in God's image. But Jesus is making the most about the least because we face three giant dangers in getting this wrong. I believe there's three big reasons that we tend to blow this. I think there's three big reasons why Jesus feels the need to speak about this in the strongest possible way terms, and, and, and just in case you think, well, this might just be a one-off thing for Jesus. This guy comes to Jesus, says, how do I inherit eternal life? He says, well, you know the commands. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself, and then Jesus says, well, who's your neighbor? 
And then Jesus goes on to tell him the story of the Good Samaritan. This is not a one-off moment where we see this version of Jesus that cares for the poor. Jesus was always making a hero out of, of the people that everyone else saw as a zero. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Jesus loved to make the Samaritans the hero of every story. Jesus loved to talk and care about people, talk to and care for people that nobody else talked to or cared for. But there, I think there's three giant reasons that, that these giant dangers we face that can cause us to blow it. Here's the first one. I, I, I think it's, part of it's just apathy and selfishness. Part of it is our just propensity, just left to ourself, is to think about ourself. How, what, what's gonna be best for me? What's gonna make my life the, the most successful? What's gonna make me look the best, the most convenient, the most comfortable? Our propensity left to ourself is to think about our self, and, and, and that's why we, the Bible just instructs us over and over again because we need instruction. Isaiah 1:17. listen, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the cause of the widow. And, and then James just restating again what, what Isaiah has already told us, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans, and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so I think this apathy thing, this selfishness thing, where our basic instinct is to think, what's gonna make my life better? And what's gonna be funnest for me? And so our response to that is just to own it, it's just to, and then to ask God, pray, and say, God, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, activate the, the truths of your word and cause me to care more and more and more about stuff that really, really, really matters, and would you help me to care less and less and less about stuff that really doesn't matter? God, would you align my heart more with yours? Would you break my heart for what breaks yours? And so when we, when we find ourselves just in this kind of apathy and selfishness and not really thinking about the least of these because we're so focused on ourselves, we ask God, God, would you change, change my heart? Here's the second thing. I think the second reason that, that we're in great danger of blowing this is what I call emotional overload. Is that you watch the news and you see all the terrible things in the world. You see all the suffering around the world, you go on social media and you get like six GoFundMes thrown at you for a tough situation and, and then you just begin to think, gosh, there's just so many problems and so many hurting people and I can't do everything. So then our instinct is, so I will not do anything. We just get overwhelmed. We're like, oh, it's, it's just too much. It's like when you go to Cheesecake Factory and you're like, what do I wanna eat? And, it's like, well, the 60-page menu. I thought I was hungry, but I don't even know where to start. Does that happen to you guys there? And, and you're like, well, I don't even know if I have the energy to eat here. It's just too much. I don't even know. And then you're like, but I think that's what happens with just all the brokenness in the world. We're like, gosh, there's just too much. And I don't even know where to start. And so because I can't do everything, I won't do anything, and so our response to this is we respond with doing for one or some what we wish we could do for all. You can't help every homeless 
person in northern Nevada. But you can help one, two, three. You, you, you can't help every needy child around the world, but through a groups like Compassion International, World Vision, you can help one, two, three. But we, what we do is we, we say, oh, I don't even know, and there's just so much, and I can't do everything, so I won't do anything. And so then we, uh, but instead we respond by saying, what, what, what do I wish I could do for everyone? I'm gonna do for at least one. What I wish I could do for everyone, I'm gonna do some. We can't do everything, so we don't do anything. Individually, we can all do something, and together we can do an awful lot. There's 2.2 billion people on the planet that claim the name of Jesus. Together, we could do much to make a massive, massive dent in, in the greatest solvable problems in the world for the least of these. There's about 2,500 people that will connect to Life Church over the course of a month. And all of us together could make a massive dent among the solvable issues among the least of these here in northern Nevada, but we get overloaded. We begin to think, I can't do everything, so I won't do anything, but our response needs to say, what do I wish I could do for everyone? I'm gonna do for at least one, or two, or three. And so emotional overload is another giant danger. I think the only danger possibly bigger than emotional overload is the danger of avoidance and isolation. It's really kind of the nature of suburbia the dangers of suburbia. The reason people live in suburbia, big part of it, is to get away from the least of these. Like they didn't put the gate on your neighborhood to keep the least of these inside. You laugh harder, it feels better. It's, I don't know about you, I've, I've caught myself, I've had these thoughts more than once. Um, and I know I'm, I'm the only one, you guys never have bad thoughts. But have you ever like been in, it, like at, in South Reno somewhere? Like you're at the, I was at the Rayleigh's over on Arrow Creek Parkway. Homeless people there. And there's this thought I have that thinks, feels like homeless people shouldn't be here. Like feels like that's more of a Mill Street thing than a Mount Rose Highway thing. <laughs> Anybody else had thoughts like this? You're willing to confess? Thank you for the one honest human. The rest of you guys are liars. <laughs> Lake of fire, all that's what the Bible says about liars. And so... Uh, but it's like, I'll think, gosh, what are they doing here? Did we move down here to not see things like this? Anyone else ever have the thoughts like this? It's the nature of suburbia. This, it's, this, I, it, it's this insulation and avoidance. And, and, and so, but if Jesus really means this, and it seems like he really, really, really means this, then for most of us that, that live suburban lives, it's going to require an intentional choice. It's going to it require some intentional choices and strategies for us to regularly, meaningfully engage the least of these. I'm gonna give you three ways that you could do it. There's other, I know some of you are involved in, and uh, love to go on. I talked to a lady after first service who they're about to move to Mexico 
and, and, and so that they can, can work among the orphanages there. And so some of you are, are very engaged and among the least of these uh, globally beyond just like sponsoring a compassion child, which is a great first step, but a terrible last step. Some of you are engaged with ministries that, that meet other doctors in, the, in our church that I know do like free medical care for the needy in our community in the name of Jesus, and that's incredible. But, but if, you've, if, if you've not figured out what is your intentional strategy to engage the least of these, if you're not already doing something, I'm gonna give you three uh, good first steps. One, my favorite uh, local nonprofit uh, uh, parachurch ministry is called Pathfinders. And that's a ministry that, 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 that t t sends out a bunch of vans every Friday and Saturday, picks up a bunch of the neediest, most vulnerable kids in uh, Reno, and then takes to a place, and then they, 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 they eat some great food, and so volunteers make the food, and then these volunteers play games with these kids, and then they share a, a Jesus message with each of these kids every week. And then what happens a lot of times is these long-term mentorships form. Many times these volunteers are the only stable adults in these kids' lives. Long-term mentor, long mentorships form that, that go all the way. I was made, I talking with a guy just a few months ago and he was sharing with me how he was a Pathfinders kid and this lady Lillian, who's been one of the longest-term volunteers there, became like his, like kind of his grandma figure and that she's like mentored him all the way through college. And she, she was the game changer in his life. And so some of you, we already have Life Church people that volunteer there, that, that they're just on Fridays or Saturdays, they just show up and, and feed these people and play some games, talk about Jesus, and then it, it's, uh, it's my favorite ministry in all of Reno. And if you're interested in learning what volunteering looks like, they have a table outside. Uh, 13 days from now, Friday, the uh, September 29th, we'll be hosting their annual fundraising Banquet. A ticket to that banquet's $100. A table is $1,000. I'd love 100 Life Church people to be at this event. You can buy a ticket out, at, out there. And honestly, uh, supporting that ministry is, is a, a very easy, kind of almost kind of the least we can do to engage the least of these. I love what those guys are doing. We also have a great ministry to uh, the jails and the prisons locally that there's a handful of people from Life Church that regularly, uh, we, I was talking with a, a lady, uh, you think, well, how can I, how, what can I do at a jail? I was chatting with this sweet elderly lady after first service that her and her husband started volunteering in the jail library like about a year ago, and it has become this incredible source of joy for, for them. They are loving it. It's their highlight of their week. And then we have other people that go to the jails, and, and some of them preach. Some of them lead Bible studies. We have opportunities for men and for ladies. To, uh, and, and there's also uh, kind of this beginning of trying to kind of pair up folks as they're released with, with, with some um, folks that can come alongside them in their reentry. If you're interested in learning more about the jail ministry, you can stop by that table after service. Really, it was this passage of scripture of a few years ago that began, that God began to just capture clarinized hearts about realizing we live very safe suburban lives. And if we're going to, we are very insulated from a whole lot of, of, of the least of these. And so for us, 
we began this journey of, of what does it look like for us to intentionally engage the least of these, and it was that that led us on our, our journey towards foster care, ultimately adoption, and as, as that, that would be our way, a, a way that we could have a strategy that says, hey, we're gonna meaningfully engage the least of these, and, and so we began taking those foster care classes, and after you take the class, they begin to email you about certain kids available for adoption. And so we got an email with this pic of the little boys back, uh, that's about a little bit over four and a half years ago. And, uh, and then we see the pic of when we adopted them, May of 2020. That was before Bradley turned into a full-grown man overnight. And so, uh, and, then, uh, and then a more recent photo. But, but for us, that felt like the biggest way that we could make the biggest difference among the least of these for us. And, and, and there's some of the reasons for that are simply the fact that there's 18 million orphans globally. There's 400,000 children in foster care system in the United States. 100,000 of those 400,000 are legally available for adoption. They're awaiting adoption. About 7,000 uh, kids are adopted annually, and then 23,000 kids each year age out of the foster care system. So they go, they go through the foster care system, turn 18, and, and having never been uh, adopted, they age out of the foster care system. And listen to these stats about what happens to kids that age out of the foster care system. 20% instantly become homeless. 50% fail to find a job by the time they're 24 years old. Less than 3% chance they'll ever gain a college degree. Seven out of 10. This is where it's really systemic poverty kind of becomes a thing. Those people, those of us like, like you and I, that, that, or many of you and myself who grew up in stable homes and middle-class environments, the idea of systemic poverty is hard to wrap our heads around. But what we see is these kids that, that kind of grow up in the system and then never get adopted. And, and then what happens is, is this generational cycle happens where seven out of 10 of the girls that age out of foster care will become pregnant before they're 21 years old. Many become victims of sex trafficking. 60% of men who age out of the foster system, who were available for adoption, end up being convicted of a crime in their lifetime. And so at Life Church, there's been a lot of people that have engaged the, uh, the whole foster process. Uh, there was a family in our church just a couple of weeks ago. Their adoption became final of a child that they, were, uh, that they had originally had fostered. And we've had this ministry called LC Cares Foster and Adopt. And we're just looking to take that to next steps and next levels of impact. And, and so we're, we're sort of uh, beginning, we've kind of folded that in to be a part of this larger citywide movement called Foster the City. It's a, it's, a, it's a gathering of churches saying, hey, one of us can't do everything, but we think together as the body of Christ, we can make the biggest difference in this area of the least of these regarding kids that, that are in foster care. Check out this video. Let me tell you a story about a beautiful little girl named Lucy. Within hours of being born, uh, Lucy was placed into foster care. By the time she was two months old, she'd already been cared for by four different moms. If you look at the stats, the outlook on this little girl's future is probably gonna be pretty bleak. We know that half of the kids who age out of foster care uh, will be unemployed in their early 20s, a third will be on the streets, half will have a substance addiction, uh, more than half will have PTSD. In fact, you're twice as likely to have PTSD as a child in foster care than a war veteran who's experienced combat because of all that these kids have gone through. 
Suicidal tendencies are four times higher for the foster youth than the average youth. Honestly, I could just keep going with the stats, but here's my point. This little girl has a world of statistics fighting up against her. Well, a few years ago, my wife and I heard about her story and we, we talked together and we prayed and we said, man, if there's anything that we can do to, to help shift the trajectory of this girl's story, we wanna be a part of it. And so um, we, we, we invited Lucy into our home. She became our foster daughter. And we began to just pour our life and our love into this precious girl. You know, Lucy actually means light. That's what her name means. And that's exactly what she's been to our family. She has been a source of light and joy and laughter in life. Has it always been easy? Absolutely not. But it has been worth it? Absolutely. We are so grateful that she's been a part of our family's story over the last few years. And you know, partway through our fostering journey, we were told by the social workers, um, Lucy was gonna need a new permanent placement, a new permanent home. And so just recently, we moved from being her foster family to her forever family. Now, let me tell you why I'm telling you this story. Lucy is one of thousands of children in foster care right now. And every one of these kids, just like Lucy, has a name and have a story. And every one of their stories matter to God. Foster the City is a coalition of churches working together to make sure that every child in the foster care system is able to experience a loving and stable home. And we do this in a couple of ways. Uh, number one, we do this by recruiting foster families. Maybe that's something you're interested in. And number two, we do this by recruiting support friends for foster families. These support friends provide practical, emotional, spiritual support to help foster families foster longer and better. Right now in your city, in your neighborhoods, there are kids just like Lucy. Kids who are in need of some love and stability. Kids who are desperate for some hope for their future. With Foster the City's model, anybody can make a difference in the life of a child like Lucy. I wanna invite you to learn more today at fosterthecity.org. So on October the 12th, uh, there'll be an interest meeting. There's a table right outside. Uh, we're looking for, for three groups of people to, to uh, go by that table and also ex um, come to this meeting on October 12th. If you're already engaged in, in foster care, we, this group, uh, Foster the City, that, that this citywide movement that we're now joining in on is, uh, wants to be able to encourage and partner and support you. Or if you have any interest in exploring what foster care or adoption is all about, you can, uh, that's another purpose of that meeting. Go and explore, uh, just maybe, maybe God wants you to explore or the, the process of potentially being a foster parent. But the largest group we're looking for, honestly, is, is people who will be what they call support friends. People at Life Church who will say, you know what, as other Life Church families foster and adopt, we want to strategically come alongside and encourage and support them. So if you're interested in any of those things, stop by that table, sign up to go to that meeting October the 12th at 6.30. Here's the last thing and we're done. Jesus makes the most about the least because we were the least, so he became the least. See, really what we're talking about here is the essence of the gospel. Jesus kicking off his ministry, quotes from Isaiah, Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus is talking about people that are physically poor and spiritually poor. 
He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, people that are actually in physical jails and those of us that were in, all of us who were in the jail of, of, of sin and, and the bondage that leads to death. Freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Actually blind people and those of us that were spiritually blind to set the oppressed free. Those who are being oppressed by governments and systems and other people and then all of us who were living in this oppression of being a part of the devil's system and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We, Jesus, we were the least. Jesus became the least on our behalf. We were spiritually impoverished, but have been made rich. Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We were spiritually imprisoned in a bondage of sin, and he set us free from that. We were spiritually blind, but have been made to see. We were spiritually helpless and vulnerable. Romans 5, 8, he says, you see, at the right time, when we were still powerless. We were helpless. We couldn't help ourselves. We were, we were spiritually helpless, and he set us free. We were spiritual orphans who have been adopted. Romans 8, 15, we've received the spirit of adoption, this nickname of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why? That we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his son's God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the son who, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And you are also his child. God has made you also an heir. This, it really is, why, why are we passionate? Why at Life Church do we want to be passionate about the little, the, what about children? Because that they're close to God's heart. Whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. Why are we committed to being passionate about the least? Because Jesus says the way you treat them is the way you treat me. It's this gospel issue. When we recognize what, what, how, how we were the least in the more extreme permanent, terrible situation than someone who simply is in a difficult physical situation, that we were spiritual orphans and have been made children of God, joint heirs with Christ. We were spiritually blind, but have been made to see. We, we were helpless, and he came and helped us when we could not help ourselves. We were spiritually impoverished. He became poor on our half that we might become rich. When we recognize the essence of the gospel, our heart begins to be transformed. And, and we join in with God and his love and care for the least of these. See, we think, there's this, there's this lie that, that, that the devil tells us. We think that if we change our lives for the sake of the least of these, that, that make our lives a little less convenient or, or maybe a lot less convenient and make our lives a little less comfortable or maybe a lot less comfortable, or make our lives feel a little less safe, or even more so. We have, the devil tells us this lie, 
That, that if we do that, if, if we give up what the, the lie of the American dream and the lie of suburbia, that life is mostly about comfort and convenience and safety and security and that those things are all inherently good and anything that threatens those things are all inherently bad. It, it, this, this lie that says, well, if I begin to strategically and intentionally engage the least of these, it's gonna make my life a little less comfy. It's gonna make my life a little less convenient. It's gonna make, it's, and, and we say, and the idea is that, and that in doing so, that we're going to miss out. And, and we believe that our life will then be filled with less joy. That is this big lie that the devil, that's why when Jesus says, he says, if you really wanna gain life, you've gotta be willing to lose it. What he's saying is if you, if you really wanna experience real abundant life, then, then you've gotta let go of your idea of what the good life is, comfort, convenience, safety, security. And he's saying and it's when you release that that you're able to grab hold of a life that is more joy-filled and more fulfilling and makes an actual difference in the world. It's actually the opposite. Jesus says it's as we lose our lives that we find it. The guy named Jason Johnson wrote a book called Reframing Foster Care that, that really spoke to me years ago. I'm gonna read a quote from him and be done. While it can be said that foster care is the means by which we may bring about change in a child's life, it's equally true, if not more so, that foster care is a process through which God radically transforms our lives as well. Their story changes ours not with easy and light things, but with hard and heavy ones that expose the faultiness in our own stories and begin to produce new and better stories together as a result. He goes on to say, our world was too small before. Our faith was too shallow, our theology too narrow, our dreams too temporary, our family too isolated, our Christianity too comfortable, our worries too finite, our relationships too homogenous, and our prayers too selfish. I'm convinced that we didn't rescue a little girl from her situation as much as a little girl rescued us from ours. She pulled back the veil around us and showed us a broken side of our world from which we had all but isolated ourselves. She pulled back the veil of our hearts and showed us a broken side of it that we had all but ignored. Let's pray. So Father, we do invite your spirit, Lord, just to change our hearts, Lord, that we'd care more and more and more about the things that you care most about, the things that will matter forever. And God, that we'd care less and less about the stuff you care least about, the things that really don't matter, comfort and convenience and all of those things. God, that we'd care less about those. Lord, that you would break our hearts for the things that break yours. That we'd care most about the things you care most about. And Lord, I pray, Lord, I, I know there's people Lord, even in this room this morning, that are feeling prompted to take a step, whether that's going down to a jail and talking about you, which could sound terrifying to some, or engaging with at-risk kids and pathfinders on a Friday night, and, or, or learning more about foster care, or supporting a family that does. And there's this thing inside of us that, that is terrified at the prospect. Lord, I, I pray that, that you would give us courage 
or that we wouldn't have spirits of fear or trepidation, but that they'd fill us with your Holy Spirit that brings power and love and a sound mind, that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't miss out on, op, on all that you have for us because of fear. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.